Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, thank you all for being here who are here live, and thank you all for tuning in for those of you who are here online. Let's take a second just to pray together. Father, we thank you for the history of the church. God, we specifically thank you for the history of the black church. God, we know that the black church was not created out of a desire for affinity, but it was created out of oppression, out of a marginalization, and through it, the church... The black church found its own song, found the story that made sense to them. And they were able to read and interpret in such a way where they saw a Jesus of freedom, a Jesus that would not agree with their masters. And now, God, those of us that are here, we are the byproducts of their fight. It is not the byproducts of just black men and black women It is the black church that tore down segregation, not the government. And so, God, we know that the Spirit of God has worked through that orthodox movement of the black church and the civil rights movement and in abolition. And now, God, we sit here amongst that legacy, amongst many different ethnicities in this room and online, and we honor you by honoring them. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue on through the book of John. We are now in John 12, and we're going to look at a really unique moment where Jesus is going to give an illustration. As Jesus gives this illustration, this illustration, though when you read it, it's seemingly not powerful and impactful. It is impactful nonetheless. The illustration will be about a seed and what the seed does in order to grow. You know, we can learn a lot from seeds. One thing that I'm confident about is that we would not make good seeds. We would not make good seeds because we love to be seen. Seeds teach us so much. I imagine that seeds, if we could talk to them, we could learn. Seeds, if you don't know, most seeds are not sown nor planted. Most seeds wind up somewhere simply because of the wind. They find themselves in a situation and they are subject to the environment. The seed, at that point, waits and waits and waits. We would not make good seeds. Because as a seed, we would be struggling because we would say to ourselves, look at all the trees. We would scroll on our Insta-tree feed, <laughs> get it? But um, we would look at all the trees. We would look at all the branches. We would look at all the fruit. We would look at all the big roots and the bark. And we would say to them ourselves, when am I going to be a tree? We would wait for our time to become 
a tree. In fact, as a seed, we'd walk in front of our seed mirror and we'd say, I feel like I got a tree on the inside of me. But I don't know when my time is. We could learn a lot from seeds. I bet if we could talk to seeds, the seeds would say, no, no, not right now. You see, right now our job is to be unseen for a while. And we would say, no, no, we got to learn. We got to be around the trees to be a tree. The seed would say, no, our job now is to go underneath. And now we got to get deep roots. And from that seed, the rooting happens, and it's called germination, and it's quite a while that the seed is unseen, so much so that the seed almost becomes one with the ground. In other words, the seed no longer is a seed. It becomes a root, and from the root, it has a shoot, and from the shoot, you have a sprout. And then all of a sudden, over time, this seed becomes a tree. And we would say, good night, I saw that seed about three years ago, and now that seed is a tree. How did you become a tree? And the tree would say to us, if we were a seed, oh, my friend, the way up is down. That's what we can learn. The way up is down. Jesus is going to teach us this, that the way up is down because the culture tells you the way up is up. The way up is strength. The way up is power. The way up is more. The way up is to be with up people so you can be like them. And what do we see from Jesus? Jesus is a man with no military power, no financial power. No government power. He dies with about 70, maybe 120 followers. But his most adamant followers were 12 men, most likely illiterate peasants. And the one most educated amongst them was the one who got him killed. Executed at the age of 33, he dies penniless and with a robe. No possession, no real power. But you know the story doesn't end there, right? Because you know he didn't stay down, he got up. But the way up was what? Down. Joseph teaches us that. Joseph, if you just run through the story of Joseph in Genesis, you see him in a palace, but you know that's not how the story went. You know he had to go to prison because the way up was down. We have to understand that if you're going to make a kingdom impact, the way up is down. Self-promotion often leads to self-delusion and eventually leads to self-destruction. But when God promotes you, it's totally different. Psalm 75 says it this way, for not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it's God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. I love the imagery there because the psalmist is saying, look to the east and to the west. He's saying promotion doesn't come from the horizontal plane. He's saying you got to look to the north. 
He's saying, God's got to promote you. And so Jesus teaches us this. In the context of the text we will look in today, the people will be clamoring, waiting for Jesus to go up. And Jesus will predict he's going down. The context, if you've been tracking with us in the book of John, you know that in John chapter 11, Jesus just healed Lazarus. In the healing of Lazarus, this became popular. Many people began to talk about this healing that happened. Mary, Lazarus' sister, Martha, and others would end up holding a dinner for Jesus, right above this in John chapter 12. In a text we're not going to look at today, we'll look at right before Easter, Jesus will enter the temple. And when he enters the temple, this is the Passover week, people are excited because he's healed Lazarus. And when he enters the temple in John 12 and 13, the people are yelling, Hosanna. Watch this. That's the highest praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even, listen, the king of Israel. Hosanna, the Lord saves. The Lord's going to rescue us. The Lord's going to deliver us from the tyranny of Roman oppression, the Jews are thinking. You're going to come and you're going to change everything because we remember the days of King David. King David was a political ruler, but also a spiritual ruler. He loved God, but also led the people. And they've been under the tyranny of one kingdom after another, and now they're under the kingdom of Rome and they no longer want to be under that hand. So they believe that Jesus is going to make it like the days of David. Jesus is going to make it in the days of we, when the Jews were leading. Jesus is going to make Jerusalem great again. Their desire was for a political deliverer a military deliverer. John 6 and 15, just to note, literally says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus was so powerful that they were looking for ways to force him into leadership. And so now the crowd is at hand. John 12 and 17 says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this keyword sign. Now, they considered it a sign. If you can raise Lazarus from the dead, you can defeat the Roman Empire. This is a sign that you are the Messiah and that you are here to deliver us. Notice they said they heard it as a sign. And so in John 12 and 11, you have to note the two groups that are now following him. John 12 and 11 earlier says, because on the account of him, the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So now the Jews are turning to Christ. And when you look in John 12 and 19, it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, 
The whole world has gone after him. In verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Well, the Jews, it says, are following him. But the Pharisees are there and they want to kill him because of all the influence that he has. And the Pharisees look at one another and they said, now look, the world is going after him. And the way that they're able to define that is even the Greeks are going after him. Not just the Jews, but Gentiles and Greeks. The Gentiles were there because of the Passover. They were probably what you would call God-fears, people who had left their religion and now wanted to follow God, the God, the Jewish God. And so in them having this moment, they want to have an audience with Jesus. They want to meet this Jesus. But it's interesting that they not only talk about the world, but they talk about Greeks specifically. Because Greeks characteristically were understood as truth seekers. Greeks would go from one philosophy to another. They'd go from one religion to another. They didn't necessarily have an affinity to one thought pattern. They went with the most popular thought pattern. Would you believe this? The Greeks just liked a good teacher and didn't even care about the kind of moralistic lifestyle he had. They just wanted to know he said good words and they'd follow him. <laughs> Amazing. The Greeks had a mind to seek truth. In other words, when he says the Greeks are following him, that means he had reached the height of popularity. Jesus was becoming popular. And the Pharisees are upset, not just because he was popular. It was one thing for him to be popular with the Jews, but now he's popular with the Greeks and the Gentiles. When those Gentiles would come to Jerusalem for Passover, they would want to worship the living God and they would want to go to the temple. And when they would go to that temple, being spiritually curious and wanting to know God more, they would see that there was the temple, but there was a wall. Only Jewish men could go past that wall. Only Jewish men could go towards this inner sanctuary. On this wall, noted, Gentiles go beyond this point upon pain of death. It was spiritual segregation. You see, the Gentiles were outsiders. They were spiritual outsiders, moral outsiders. And the Pharisees were the insiders. And they got their identity off of being insiders, off of being the religious and being the morally superior. And so now Jesus is breaking down this wall they've built their identity in. So, a lot I could preach on there, but I ain't got time, amen. Verse 21 so these came to Philip, these being the Greeks and the Gentiles, and they were who was uh, from Beth Bethsaida, that's Philip, in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Isn't that just a, it's just an interesting point there. Um, 
you can see how weird they felt. Like they went to Philip and Philip was like, I don't even know what to do. And so he went to Andrew and Andrew was like, are you cool with this? It's because they're Gentiles. And they were uncomfortable with outsiders becoming insiders. And so they go to Philip and Philip, not knowing what to do, goes to Andrew. And then there's this moment in verse 23, the moment that they've been building up to, the moment that they're wanting They want an audience with Jesus. They want to hear from Jesus. What does Jesus have to say? He's got Jews. He's got Gentiles. He's popular. What is Jesus going to say? Is Jesus, now that he's up, is he going to go higher? And Jesus, in verse 23, it says, Jesus answered them. The hour has come. Would you say that with me? The hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you had been tracking with Jesus, in fact, if you've been tracking in the book of John, the minute that Jesus says the hour has come, it harkens back to all the times Jesus said that phrase. In John chapter 2, verse 4, remember when his mama wanted to turn water into wine? And he's like, not now, mama. I don't feel like doing all that here. What does he say? My hour has not yet come. John chapter 5, he raises a blind man from the dead. And again, the people are wanting to exalt him. But he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. John chapter 8, it says no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And you, you mix that. He says, my hour has come. And then he says to be glorified. And if you look back at the last time Jesus said that, In John chapter 11, verse 40, he says, did I not tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God, he says that to Martha. And you know what he does next? He raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, my hour has come to be glorified. People are like, showtime. Here we go. Oh, yeah. His, His hour has come to be glorified. Let's go. It's time. Jesus has been building us up to this moment. And and he said, I mean, the last time he said he was glorified, it was, whoa, so what's he going to do now? And with all that anticipation built, Jesus, when he could have gone up more, he says something that shakes them. He says, truly, truly, he always says that for emphasis. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, Jesus clearly is giving an analogy to speak about kingdom impact because wheat doesn't make fruit. Amen. You got that? All right. Jesus is shattering their illusions. He's turning their dreams of conquest into a vision of death. Jesus shattered their thoughts of upness by telling him he's going down. Jesus gave a vision of his next big move, death. His most popular moment, death. Passover is here, Jews here, Gentiles here, even the Greeks are into me, death. He described his body as a kernel, a grain, going into the ground, dying, death. And what he essentially is saying is, if I die, I'll produce a harvest. 
It will be through my death. We tend to define the greatness of men by the celebration of them, by their seenness. But many great men and women who did something for a kingdom impact did it because it had to be done for the sake of Jesus. The Son of Man would not be glorified by conquering the Romans and immediately establishing the kingdom as so many anticipated. Rather, he would die and have the greatest spiritual impact. Metaphorically speaking, dying obviously is something we're all going to do in terms of our physical sense. But in the metaphorical sense, the dying is a giving away, a giving away of life, a giving away of power. In many ways, the fruit he is talking about is saying when you do not try to, uh, um, to gain all the power, but when you give your power away, He's saying real riches is found not in just the acquisition of money, but the generosity of giving yourself away. He's saying real influence is not by seeking influence, but it's by having kingdom impact. It's by giving yourself away. And certainly it could lead to death, but it's lessening of you for the sake of the glory of God. It is said of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what I want you to notice there is that the point of this text is not that Jesus died. It's that he died to serve. He was obedient to the point of death. Any man can die. Not every man can be obedient. He gave himself for the benefit of me and you. And if you are going to have a kingdom impact, it is going to be by becoming less of you. Not more of your brand. Not more of your name. It is because of Jesus going down and becoming from the kingdom of glory and coming down to a manger all the way down to a Jewish oppressed girl. It is by that which we see him going all the way down and having a name people didn't even recognize for 30 years. It is by that that he has a name above all names. His way up was down. It is through giving yourself away for kingdom impact. You can have a great name. You can make an impact. That does not mean you're making a kingdom impact. Kingdom impact is spiritual. Kingdom impact is about a forgiveness. Kingdom impact is about loving people. You can be great in the eyes of men and be nothing in the eyes of God. Kingdom impact is who you are when no one is watching, but it's just you and God. Oh, a kingdom impact and if you're going to make a kingdom impact, there's going to be less of you next year than there is this year. It is through the pathway of death that you make a kingdom impact. And you do it because it's got to be done. Not just because you're gifted. Not just because you're trained. Not just because you're educated. 
Not just because you've got some kind of pathway that people told you about. You do it because you know it needs to be done. Ida B. Wells, y'all like my shirt? Praise the Lord. You can find this at PrayMarchAct.org. They're available now. Praise the Lord. Ida B. Wells, she made it her mission to fight against the injustice of lynching. She made pamphlets and newspaper columns. She gave lectures and traveled the world to talk about the injustice of lynching. She organized church groups. She made boycotts. She challenged even the racism in the women's suffrage movement. She fought against economic inequality. But listen to what Ida B. Wells says in her book, Southern Horrors, Lynch Laws in All Its Phases. She says, it is with no pleasure I have dipped my hands in the corruption here exposed. Somebody must show that the Afro-American race is more sinned against than sinning. And it seems, watch this, and it seems, and it seems, and it seems to have fallen upon me to do so. Ida B. Wells says, this wasn't my dream, this was my calling. She didn't wake up one day and just decide. She said, God drew me into this. If you want to have kingdom impact, it is not just about your Myers-Briggs test. It is not just about what you're good at. It is about the calling of God on your life to be obedient in all areas of your life. And if that is the case, there will be less of you and more of Jesus. And more of Jesus means more kingdom impact. And he will draw you in to do things that you cannot do, but you feel called to do. That is kingdom impact. Kingdom impact is every day waking up. What would you have me to do? Not because I fit. It's because I've been told. And you walk in the calling of God. It is in this. It is in this calling that Ida B. Wells would fight. Jesus, though, gives us a dynamic picture because in speaking of dying, he then turns the corner and he says in John 12 and 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In the context, Jesus is referring to kingdom priorities. He's talking about loving Jesus even more than family and possessions. He speaks of this in Matthew 10 when he says, you have to love your father or mother mother more. Uh, You cannot love your father and mother more than me. He speaks of this in Luke 14 when he talks about considering and counting the cost of following him. One author put it this way, though it may not be required, being willing to give up everything to follow Christ is what separates true disciples from false professors. Jesus does not identify true saving faith by its perfection, but by its affection. 
Those who truly come to Christ love him above all else, all sin, all self-righteousness, all relationships, and all self-will. He's not saying enjoying life. He's saying loving life to the point where you're scared to lose something for kingdom impact. That you would be willing to give it all away if you knew God wanted you to. It is with this that the spread of the gospel has been going throughout all centuries. Kingdom impact has come from those who are willing to give their lives away for the sake of Jesus. It has not been through big televangelists. It has not been through mega churches. It has not been through the profound speakers of this world. It hasn't been because of TV broadcasts, and it hasn't even been just because we're able to produce the Bible in many different languages. It has been because the blood and seed of the martyrs. It has been because of people who were willing to put Christ first above all else, even to the point of death. That's how Jesus became so popular. <laughs> It wasn't from technology. In the second and third century, after Christ, there was enormous plagues. We, didn't, we don't even know some of the diseases that were at hand. But these plagues hit cities the most, particularly in the Mediterranean world. Simply because, as you know, in cities, there's more density. People are packed in more. And as we've been facing with COVID, we, uh, we see things spread quicker and faster in places where we're bunched up. What began to happen in cities was miraculous. Because in cities, people left in droves. They left because they didn't want to die. And they left the sick behind, even their own family members. Left them in beds, dying, barely being able to breathe. And guess who stayed? Christians. Christians stayed because they did not love their lives. They were willing to lose it for kingdom impact. And you're like, wow, so what did they do? What did they, I don't, I didn't hear this in the history books. What happened to them? They died. <laughs> they dropped like flies. You don't know their names. You don't know their names. No one knows their names. But a century later, the Christian world would be the most dominant world. The Christian faith would explode because they were people of compassion. They were people of good works. That's how the faith got up. So many people went down. In 1955, you've probably heard the name Emmett Till. Emmett Till, his face would end up on magazines. Emmett Till, his name would spark a movement. A young boy killed 
for supposedly whistling at a woman years later she said that didn't even happen. Many of you know the name of Emmett Till, but you don't know the name George Lee. Reverend George Lee was killed the same year in the next county over. Reverend George Lee was one of the first black men to register to vote in Humphreys County, Mississippi. He refused to not let black men and women be kept from voting. So he used his pulpit as a means to preach about the fact that men and women who were black were made in the image of God and deserved to vote just like anyone else. He would use his pulpit and he found a printing press and he would create flyers telling men and women to vote. White officials offered Lee protection if he just stopped preaching about voting. He refused to end his efforts and he was murdered that year, shot. And you don't know his name. Jesus says in John 12, 26, lastly, if anyone who, me, yes, you, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Calvary Road, Golgotha, death. And where I am, though, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Why would Jesus say that after talking about this grain going into the ground dying? Why does he say this as the last part? Well, the encouraging thing is he says, where I'll be, you'll be also. He's speaking of those mansions he talked about that he's prepared for us that we will be with him in heaven because of his blood dying for our sins. But he not only says we will be with him up in that place, but he also says my father will honor them. We didn't see that time that you gave to the needy, but the father who sees in secret saw it. We didn't see when you forgave that young lady who was very mean-spirited to you and very unkind, but you were still kind and you still cared and no one see it and it wasn't on Instagram and you didn't take a picture about it, but the father who sees in secret saw it. We didn't see you fighting against oppression in your neighborhood, making sure that maybe little boys and little girls are able to have the life that God has called them to. We didn't see it, but the father who sees in secret saw it. We don't see because we are on a horizontal plane, but the father who is up sees in secret and one day you will meet your father in heaven and you will see him face to face and the Bible says he will wipe away every tear. And just like when I played football after a game, we would rewind the tape and look. You're gonna look back over things you forgot. 
you're going to look back over moments God is going to bring back to your memory. And you'll look back. And you'll remember, you'll be like, I did do that. Oh, snap. And you'll say, man, I remember I was working hard for you. No one said thank you. I always remember I was giving everything to you and there was no recognition. I was nobody said anything to me. And Jesus will look at you and say, son, daughter, well done, good and faithful servant. They didn't see you, but I did. The way up is down. Don't live for the recognition of men. Live for the voice of your Father in heaven. Be like that seed. Don't just long to be seen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Jesus, for the power of the imagery you give. Now, God, we ask that you would, even now, remind us Remind us that the way up is down. That we're called to give our lives away a life of humility. Lord, even now, would you free us from needing to fight for our name? And Lord, let us hold to you and not be so demanding about our reputation and how we're seen, but hold to you tightly. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.